Jen Rivera are uh, in the process, the beginning stages of, of uh, planting a gospel community in Long Beach Island, and our church supports them. Uh, they're on loan with us for a year from Main Street Alliance Church. And so Dave uh, gave a message back at the end of August, and Jen is going to be speaking tonight. And uh, I would love for Dave to pray over her, and then, uh, and then us get ready to take some notes. All right? All right. All right, let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you, Lord, for today. Um, God, we thank you for your, your word uh, and the truth of it. And so, God, I just, I pray for my wife. I pray that you would um, calm her heart, uh, her nerves, and, God, that we would be uh, ready to hear what you want to speak to us through my wife, Jennifer. And so, God, may our hearts and ears be attentive to what you want to speak tonight. Uh, may you be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you, guys. I know that you can't see it, but I can see it, and so I'm going to acknowledge it. There's dirt on my brand-new white shirt because I can't leave the house without getting some kind of dirt on me. And I don't even know. I can't even begin to guess what it is, which is what makes it even worse. But um, hello. Thank you guys so much uh, for joining us tonight. I know that it's been a long week. It's been a long weekend, and so we're really excited that you're here and that you're spending the weekend with us. Um, I'm excited to share with you guys. Like Pastor Chris said, my name is Jennifer. Uh, that's my husband, Dave. We have four children that are in the nursery. Um, the oldest is seven. They go on down from there, and we are expecting one more. Thank you. Now, when we say that, when we say like, oh, you know, we've got four, we're expecting another one, I always get the same three questions. It, almost like a manual went out to people that like I didn't get. But the first question everybody wants to know is like, do we have a TV? And I don't get it. I'm like, yeah, we, we have two. So if you were wondering that, we do. We have television at our house. Number two, they say, will this be your last? And all I can say is, please, God, yes. <laughs> and then they say, are you crazy? And again, the answer is probably yes. So if you were wondering that and you were too shy to ask, those are the answers to those questions. But all jokes aside, um, we've actually had kind of a rough start to this pregnancy. Back in uh, the middle of October, our whole family just got really, really sick with something. We don't know. And we were just like passing it back and forth between our, our kids and ourselves and um, for like three weeks. And we couldn't, just couldn't shake it. And then when we finally did, and we were finally coming out the other side, I started feeling really sick with this pregnancy and started getting like morning sickness. But it, it wasn't just in the morning. It was like lasting all day. I was exhausted. And so normal me, right, that like not pregnant me, I wake up at five, I start drinking coffee right out of the pot, like I don't even use a cup, I go to my dining room table, and that is like my command center. And from there, I change the world, right? I'm, I'm homeschooling, and I work for a nonprofit, and I do ministry, and I'm running our household, and I just go, go, go from morning to night. And that has not been the case the last six weeks or month, month and a half. Um, I have slept as long as possible every morning. I go to bed as soon as the kids go to bed at night. And I spend most of my time just moving back and forth from my couch to my bed. And it's been rough, not just on me, but also on my kids because they're not understanding and they're bored and running around the house and wondering why I'm not doing anything fun. And my husband is pulling a lot of weight that I usually carry. He's working, he comes home, he's cooking, he's cleaning. And we're all just kind of trusting that this is going to be worth it someday, right? 
And this is not to tell a woe is me kind of story, but it is a reminder that this is life sometimes, right? Like pregnancy is an exercise of faith. Because in the beginning, no one can tell that you're pregnant. You can tell already that I am, but that's because it's baby number five. But in the beginning, nobody can tell. You don't look pregnant. You're not, nobody understands what's going on. Even you don't all the time. You're not like, you're like, what is going on? Why don't I feel right? But you start taking the vitamins. You start going to the doctor, right? Hoping, putting your hope in this future date that it's all going to pay off and that it's all going to be worth it someday. And this happens in lots of different ways. It's not just with pregnancy or childbirth. It is jobs. It is education. It's relationships. Right? Like we all put time and effort and resourcing into different things that we have our hope in. Even if we're looking at something that no one else can see. That's kind of how faith works, right? And the Bible says that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So faith is being willing to invest everything into something that we are so absolutely certain of no matter what. And the reality is, regardless of where we're at, like, on our faith journey, we all live our lives with some degree of faith. And ultimately, what we put our faith in affects everything else. Because these are the things that inspire us and motivate us and often change the way that we live our lives. So as a church, we have been going through Exodus um, this past year. And it's been really exciting, but we're getting near the end of the book. And so today, instead of just going to the next chapter, we're actually going to zoom out and kind of do a broad overview of what we've learned up to this point and even into um, the rest of Moses' life. We're going to look at Hebrews 11, and the verses are going to be on the screen as they come up. But if you are holding a paper Bible or you have your phone or something, you're welcome to turn to Hebrews 11 now. But we're going to be considering Moses' life in relation to the gospel. When I was growing up in church, I just thought that the gospels were Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and that was it, right? And you couldn't suggest anything else. You couldn't tell me anything else. Those were the gospels, and I knew it, right? But really, the word gospel simply means good news. It is a testimony of good news, and we all have a gospel story to tell. The gospel according to Frank and Lisa the gospel according to Brina, the gospel according to Steve and Jess, the good news as told by your life or my life. And today we are going to look at the gospel according to Moses. So who here uh, knows a little about Moses from outside of Pastor Chris's messages or has seen a movie about Moses? Okay. Veggie Tales, everybody has movies about Moses. Veggie Tales has one. Disney has one. Charlton Heston knows Moses. Even Batman knows the story of Moses, right? Sort of, if you've seen it. But we can kind of think about Moses in terms of like crossing the Red Sea, and then that's kind of it, right? And we know that's not really where the story ends, but that's how we can kind of put it in our minds, right? Because that's what is movie-worthy. But the reality is Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they all continue to tell the story of Moses' life, and it ends with uh, Moses' death at the end of Deuteronomy. So if you remember, Genesis ends with um, Joseph, who at this time is a prominent leader in Egypt, and things are going really well for the Israelites, or they're set up to go really well, right? And then time passes, and time passes, and Exodus chapter 1 opens with 
uh, some bad news. And it says that there's a new king that comes to power and he doesn't know Joseph. That's not good, right? This new king, Pharaoh, he winds up feeling really threatened just by the very existence of the Hebrews, just that they're alive, that they're in his country. He doesn't like any of it. And so he starts being very hostile to them. He starts enslaving them and putting them under these just horrific living and working conditions. But that's not enough for him. Because as their population grows, so does his insecurity. And so eventually he decides that he is going to get rid of this problem once and for all. And he says, I want every baby Hebrew boy thrown into the river because that is going to take care of my problem. So to be clear, it's not a good time to start a family. Chapter 2 opens with Moses' parents pregnant. At literally one of the worst times in history to be pregnant. And if I'm honest, even us being pregnant now, like there is so much broken in the world. There's so much going on. If you turn on the news, if you walk out your door, I can feel like, man, is this really a good time to, to have gotten pregnant? Is this the right time? It is nothing like what Moses' parents were finding themselves in, okay? And it is important to note that the Bible, Hebrews 11, it even mentions them. It says, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And there's a lot of, if you've read the Bible, you know that it can sometimes spur questions. And there's a lot of things that the Bible is ambiguous about. Um, one of the things that I really wish that they had gone into more detail on is how they kept the baby quiet for three months. Because I would pay money to have that answered. But soon enough, they realize that it's not going to work, right? The baby's getting older, and they know that they're not going to be able to keep hiding him. And so in this final act of desperation, they wind up putting him in a basket and sending him down the river. And this is absolutely insane, but it's the only choice that they feel like they have. And wouldn't you know it, the baby floats right on up into Pharaoh's house. And so the irony here that God's sense of humor is so beyond what we can imagine, because now Pharaoh is basically granddaddy to this baby that he just tried to kill. And he raises, them, raises him in his home. And so long story short, Moses grows up in Pharaoh's house. Then he finds himself on the run for murder. He hides in the desert. Eventually, he marries a woman from Midian, and then he becomes a shepherd. So he goes from baby orphan to royalty to murderer to desert wanderer. And at this point, he just says, you know what? I'm going to just live out the rest of my days counting sheep until God shows up. And he has this encounter at the burning bush that changes everything. See, God wants to send Moses as a spokesman to go head-to-head -head with this Pharaoh and to lead the Israelites out of slavery and into the promised land. And Moses has this back and forth with God, but eventually he goes, and this is where we see the plagues, we see them leave Egypt, we see them wandering the desert, and this is where we left off last week. So we've looked at his birth, we've looked briefly at his life, let's, we, let's see what the Bible says about him after his death in Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger 
He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. So what happened to Moses? What was it that inspired him to go from I'll just be a shepherd to I will give anything and go anywhere for this God that I can't even see? Moses had an encounter with the living God, and that changes people. But it didn't end for him at the burning bush. See, Moses developed a relationship with God that lasted a lifetime. Moses saw something that those around him didn't see, and it changed everything else about his life. The way he acts, the way he speaks, the way he thinks, everything that he does. Moses is looking at something that no one else can see. And it changed the trajectory of his life. He goes from this random desert wanderer and he becomes one of the pillars of the Christian faith. Moses' faith restructures his whole life. It determines his identity. It determines his security. And it determines his future. So what do I mean by that? Let's look at verse 24 and 25. Moses' faith determined his identity. It says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. If we think about Moses' life for any amount of time, we can assume that he probably had some identity issues, right? He certainly wasn't going to fit in with the Hebrews. He would have known all growing up that he wasn't really an Egyptian. The one time that he does try to, to pick a side and help the Hebrews out, he winds up killing someone, which is, needless to say, not good. Moses would have felt like an outcast. But as he begins to experience this faith in God, we see this huge change in him. And it starts at the burning bush. Pastor Chris made this point last summer when we were talking about this chapter. And he said, you know, Moses is at the burning bush. He's talking to God. And God's saying like, oh, you know, I want you to go and speak on my behalf. And Moses says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And what Moses is hoping that God says is, you're my special boy. You can do this. I've been waiting for you to come, and I couldn't do this without you. But that's not what God says, right? He doesn't even care to answer the question. God says, I am who I am. Like, put yourself in Moses' shoes. I think we've probably all been here where we've asked this question, right? Whether it was an opportunity or something you felt like God maybe was calling you to, we get this, this insecurity in us, and we say, but who am I to step out in this direction? Who am I to carry this thing? Who am I to take this opportunity? And what we want is for someone to validate us and say that you can do it. You can do it. I do this. My kid just did it to me today. I was, like, helping them with something, and I was like, oh, I'm not very good at this. And he was like, believe in yourself. <laughs> I was like, thanks, buddy. <laughs> and that's what we want, right, when we say it. But God says, no, I'm not. Let, forget that. Let me tell you who I am. Let me tell you who I am. And this encounter begins to shape Moses' identity forever. So much so that, again, in, in chapter 11, it says he refuses to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chooses to be mistreated along with the people of God. Not only to abstain from worldly riches and a life of, of uh, comfort, but to go and be mistreated with the people of God. Let me be real, real clear here. Moses is not finally picking the right nationality or race. He is not picking 
the correct political party. He is not picking the right cause to identify with. He is letting himself simply be defined by who God is. I know that personally, I really love to find my identity in what I can do. I'd like to say it's in Jesus, but I love to find identity in what I can do. When I am able to produce results or value for people, whether it's in ministry or leadership or my home life, that is when I feel most confident, right? And this year has been hard. Over and over, we've gotten to meet with Pastor Chris uh, uh, multiple times. I have said, you don't even know what I bring to the table. You don't, we haven't even scratched the surface yet, right? And that's what I'm trying, on the outside, I'm trying to say like, hey, I, I, I can do more. I can do things, like whatever. But on the inside, if I'm honest, and I don't want to even say it, but what my heart is really saying is I'm valuable. Please, please find me, find me valuable. I'm getting emotional. Look at that. Please find me valuable, right? Because you might not see it now in this season. That's hard to be honest about. And so this year has been extremely difficult for us. This last six weeks has been extremely difficult because we're in this discovery phase and we're trying to figure out where God has us and leading us and then now I can't even do anything and I'm laying on my couch. And it has felt like a perpetual death to my fake identity. But we are in a world that is searching relentlessly for identity, for someone or something to validate us. And we try to find it in relationships or education or political leaders or careers, desperately searching for someone to tell us who we are and that we matter. So concerned about our titles and our labels and our side, but Moses would say, forget your side, forget worrying about who you are, Remember who God is. Moses' faith determined his identity. Does ours. Let's go to verse 26. It said, He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Moses' faith determined his security. See, he grew up as a literal prince in Egypt. He had more money and treasures and resources than all of us in this room combined. But this verse reminds us that he knew it was worthless compared to Christ. See, Moses never goes to God and says, okay, I'll follow you, but like, what about the 401k? And do you have benefits? And what about my retirement plan? Right? Even after he starts his own life over as a shepherd, he's still willing to put aside any comfort that he might have known. In fact, Moses goes on to spend the rest of his life sleeping in the dirt, in the desert, with people that don't even really like him, that talk bad about him behind his back, that complain every minute they get, and that are just plain miserable to be around. But Hebrews says that he regarded disgrace for the sake of Jesus more valuable than all the treasure of Egypt. That's an easy one to say. But it's a hard one to say honestly, at least for me. It's a lot easier to say, okay, God, I will follow you, but I better get a good spouse and a good job and that nice house on the right side of town. We don't mean to do it, and we wouldn't say it out loud, but have you ever felt that way? And this goes far beyond material security. 
Moses was willing to be disgraced because he was so secure in his relationship with God. I was talking to someone about this and, or something like this, and they were saying, you know, if I do what I think that God's calling me to do, people aren't going to understand. They're, they're going to think I'm crazy. They're going to think less of me. They're going to look down on me. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. But listen, Moses was willing to be disgraced, to be dishonored, to be misunderstood. And not only was he willing, he considered it of great value because he knew that true security is, was, and can only be found in Jesus. And that is why last week in Exodus 33, when God says, go on up to that land without me, Moses says, not a chance. Because he knows it's not about the land or the blessings or the riches. He knows that ultimate security comes only through relationship with God. Because we can sing all for Jesus on a Sunday, but Jesus says, am I still enough when your doctor report comes back wrong? Am I still enough when you lose your job? Am I still enough if your spouse never changes? Is Jesus still enough when he doesn't live up to our expectations? This is one that honestly I have to wrestle with every day. Is my security found in external circumstances like my job or my health or my bank account? Or is it found squarely in Jesus even if everything else is going to hell? Moses gave up everything for the sake of Christ. He doesn't even get into the promised land. We haven't gotten there yet, so that's a spoiler alert. But he doesn't even get in. All of those years, and he dies without ever going in. So of all the people that could have said, you owe me, God. But Moses came to realize that the land didn't matter. He knew that the reward was Jesus. And this is just like we talked about last week with rest. It's the same for security. Moses understood that anything apart from God wasn't real rest, wasn't real peace, wasn't real security, wasn't real period. Moses' faith determined his security. That's ours. Let's look at verse 27. It says, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Moses' faith determined his future. See, Moses does lead the people out of Egypt, but that's not all. He leads them then through the desert for over 40 years, and he goes from leading just a few sheep in a random desert to leading a nation. Moses didn't ask for this job. But the more he saw of God, the more he realized that he had nowhere else to go. Moses was not living for the moment. He was living for a kingdom not of this world. He perseveres because he saw him who is invisible. Another confession time. This is like group therapy, and it's great. <laughs> confession. I am not the easiest person to live with. I know. I know. I was surprised to find that out, too. <laughs> I didn't know that I wasn't delightful until I got married. And I will just say, single people, if you have ever thought to yourself, 
I would like someone to follow me around 24-7 and point out all my flaws and shortcomings and idiosyncrasies, then marriage is for you. Because I did not know, I did not know that you could chew chips too loudly until I got married. I did not know, <laughs> what, what was the one in the car today? I did not know I could give directions to Wawa wrong, but I can. It was a shock. And so another one of, uh, my, my husband's very gracious. He, he never wants me to stay the same, and so he's very willing to, uh, to keep these things coming so that I can grow. And so one of the things that he doesn't prefer is that, um, <laughs> is that he says I'm never present, right? He says I'm always multitasking or running around or thinking about what's next. And in fairness, three separate times on Thanksgiving... <laughs> Three separate times I put something in the oven and I just walked away. And I forgot that there was anything. And it wasn't like the same item three times. It was like throughout the day. Like, just wasn't thinking. And he doesn't like it. He says, you're never present. Respectfully, I would say the problem is I'm too present. I'm too present and I'm not enough eternity. Right? I'm too worried about tasks and to-do lists and my plans that I forget that the kingdom of God is here and now. Because the reality is, if you know Jesus, then the same spirit that raised him from the grave lives in you. So when I talk about faith determining our future, I don't just mean someday on a calendar when he comes back. I mean now. The kingdom is here. And wherever I put my foot, I carry the kingdom. And so do you. The future is now, and when we see him who is invisible, we are able to persevere. Not for some mapped out goal, but persevere in our walk with Jesus. And to be real clear, Moses, he lived over 1,500 years before Jesus. That's why I love this verse. Moses didn't have the Bible that he could look back on and be inspired like we are. He didn't know the story of Jesus or how he would come as a baby or die on a cross. He didn't know any of that. And yet he perseveres for the sake of Christ. He didn't know him, but he knew him. He was looking forward to the birth of Christ just like we look back. And he saw him who was invisible. He was willing to do anything, go anywhere, give everything to persevere for the rest of his life. And like I said, he dies without ever even making it into the promised land. This is not the future he signed up for. But for Moses, it doesn't matter. He wasn't persevering to reach some date or goal. He was persevering because he could see him who was invisible. Because the kingdom is here today, and it changes everything about tomorrow. Moses' faith determined his future was ours. Moses is, I'm sorry, Moses starts his life as an insecure homeless man on the run for murder, but he encounters God and it changes everything. Have we? Have you? You know, last week, Pastor Chris, he talked about Moses' relationship with God and he said that Moses 
spoke to God face to face as one speaks to a friend. Another more uncomfortable translation says mouth to mouth. That is an intimacy that few will ever experience. And so the question tonight is, do you know him? Do you know him like that? Have you experienced him like that? Have you seen him who is invisible? And do you want to? Because like we see in the life of Moses, you cannot experience the living God and remain the same. But it's not a one-time thing. Last week, Pastor Chris said uh, something about, you know, if you have experienced Jesus like this in the last year, raise your hand. And I raised my hand. And then he said, if you want to experience Jesus like this, raise your hand. And I raised my hand again. And my husband laughed. And he's like, you can't raise your hand twice. I'm raising my hand twice. Because that is the prayer of my life. See, I am beyond grateful that I have met Jesus and that I have experienced him in a deep way. I have seen him who is invisible, and he is so good. But it's not enough. I want to see him again today and tomorrow and the next day and every day until he comes back. And that is how Moses lived. He didn't encounter God at a burning bush and walk away and think that that was all there was. He spends the rest of his life pursuing this relationship in every aspect, every day. That is what the gospel does. It changes our identity. It changes our security. It changes our future. It draws us in and it leaves us wanting more. And so for the person that came here today and you just came to check things out and you're not sure what you believe about all this, this message is for you. Because I promise you, Jesus loves you and he gave everything for you. And for the person that came here and has been coming for a while and knows Jesus, this message is for you. Because Jesus loves you and he is good. See, no matter where you are on this faith journey, Jesus is asking that you know him a little bit more today. That you would go a little bit deeper in your relationship today. He wants to know you face to face. That was not a verse reserved for Moses. It is a verse that is available for each one of us. And he is so, so worthy of our trust, so worthy of our faith because he is faithful. He is the breath of life. He is God Almighty, the Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, God with us. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is our Redeemer, our strength, our comfort, our advocate. He is our Savior, our sanctifier, our healer, our coming King. Who with one hand, he holds galaxies and he names the stars. And with his other, he holds every intimate detail of your life and counts every hair on your head. A King who left his throne to die on a cross, broken and alone, because he was so ruthlessly, recklessly, relentlessly in love with you. And that's a gospel worth sharing. Pastor Chris. Thank you, Jen. Thank you, Jen. Band, you guys can come on up here. <clears throat> Took some notes, Jen. Thank you. You know, we're, gonna, we're just going to end with some response time like we normally do. You guys can stand. We're going to sing a song called, God, You're So Good.
you're so good, you're so good, let's, let's, let's sing it with some of these ideas in mind that, that Jen shared that she pointed us to in Hebrews 11, by faith, Moses, right, he gave up his identity, he let go of the things he formerly found his security in, he was okay with his future being uncertain, and, and I just want to ask as we prepare to sing this song, uh, out of those three things, Moses' faith determined his identity, his security, his future. Um, I, maybe God's asking you, maybe, maybe one of those three things is feeling threatened right now or tested right now. It'll be your identity, where you find your worth, where you find your value is being threatened. Maybe because you lost a job and that's who you were. So successful. Or maybe you're just getting criticized in an area. Maybe like Jen, you're not able to accomplish what you normally accomplish. And it's an opportunity for you to exercise faith. Is my identity really in Jesus? Really in the one who came and paid for me? Or do I feel like I have to pay for myself and earn my own existence? Prove that I'm worth, you know, dying for. Could be your identity. Maybe it's your security. Maybe some of you guys are at a point in life where your security is being threatened in some way. It's an opportunity for you to remember, God, you are still so good. You are still so good. You are my source of security. So for you, sing this song with that in mind as a confession. God, you are my security. As you sing these words, you're so good. about a lot of things. That anxiety can be a, a way that the devil wants to pull you away from God or it can be an invitation from your father to say, bring it to me. Bring it to me. Cast it on me. Fix your eyes on him who is invisible. Jeff, can you put the lyrics on this, to the song up, the, the, the part of the song that um, talks about Calvary? I want to point you to something. We will remember what Calvary has bought for me, both now and forever. I love that line. We will remember what Calvary has bought for me, both now and forever. None of this is true without Jesus doing what Jesus did. But with Jesus doing what he did, man, we can let go. We can let go. So let me just close in prayer. Put your hand up if you identified identity, security, future, that you need to let go and say, God, I'm choosing by faith. Fix my eyes on him who is invisible. Jesus, by the power of your spirit in us, give us the grace to lay down our fake identities. Give us to, the grace to let go 
of the superficial forms of security that we cling to and give us the grace to be at peace when our future may be so uncertain because of what you bought for us at Calvary, both now and forever. Amen.